Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. Hey guys, Jessica here. Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. Hope you guys are all safe and well. This week we have again with us Nikita Gupta. This is part two of our conversation about living a multicultural life. She's a fascinating person, a multicultural lifestyle blogger who has a ton of amazing resources for cross-cultural families. So be sure to check out her stuff. She also has agreed to give away a copy of her book, I Love Masala Me, where she talks about the story of mixed kids and how kids that are um, that have one Indian or South Asian parent and then have a parent of a different race, how they can embrace their Indianness and enjoy both cultures. So before So before we get into the conversation with Nikita, we are going to take Abhishek and I as usual are going to take a are going to take a listener question and this this week is about food. How do you keep a masala family, a mixed family happy at the kitchen table? So, go ahead and listen to this next segment. This is also available this next segment is also available on YouTube where we filmed it live and posted it up there. So be sure to check it out on our U- new YouTube channel, Invisible India. Just go ahead and check it out. You'll also see it in our show notes as well. And you can see our uh, faces speaking with you, not just our voices. So yeah, go ahead and check that out as well. So... Yeah, let's dive in for a question. Today, we're going to take a listener question, and the f- topic is food. Mm. Abhishek's favorite thing to think about, talk about, consume, dream about, I don't know, everything is about food no. for you. Yes, it is. No, that's on someone else's perspective. Right, this. that's my perspective. So the question is from Donna. How do you keep a masala family, in this case, Indian-American family, happy at mealtime? <laughs> How do you keep a Indian-American family happy at mealtime? Well, like I said, we have two kids, and they both love different kinds of food. So we've kind of trained them into liking curry and liking uh, masala flavors and spices, but also enjoying more plain flavors that don't require a lot of heat to really enjoy. So I think our kids will probably eat anything. It's more about keeping you happy is kind of the challenge. (laughs) 
basically it's like I'll make food that the kids and I will eat. So we'll right. make like basically Indian Indian food that's like less spicy. It doesn't yeah, mean we have our cook making food that all of us mm-hmm. eat except the kids generally. Mm-hmm. And then you make food that you and kids, the kids eat, and mm-hmm. I sometimes eat. Mm-hmm. And then, so basically, that two overlaps, two the different sets of foods that get made, and I eat sometimes the other one, and mostly this one kind. And Jessica usually eats both, and kids only eat one side and sometimes the other side. Mm-hmm. I think that's almost how it works. Yeah. Right. What What are some of your favorite foods that I make? Uh, Indian. Indian. Uh, maybe like to do with brinjal, bang, mm-hmm. bangan, or... What about least favorite food that I make? I actually don't really, really remember right now. Because oh, that's we a good answer. Here, no, honestly, we've been here for three years and... Four? Going on four. Four years. I, was, I eat like zomato. Like oh, yeah. Times. Mm. Um, I eat like cheap food and like sometimes I eat like nice restaurant food and sometimes I just prefer home food so I'm a mix and match so part part of the answer is that sometimes you can't be the one cooking all the time just let the guy get what he wants even though yeah it's not always but mostly we we eat at home mostly we eat at home yeah mostly we eat at home I think some of the things you don't like are like my soups like, I make a lot of soups with, like, different kind of vegetables that you're like, that shouldn't be in a soup. Like, cabbage soup, I don't think you love. Like, I made that once. You didn't like that. You can, like, eat it one time, and then you're like, okay, all done. I don't want any more. Whereas, um... Ideal is to f- do intermittent fasting, where you eat one day and you don't <laughs> eat the other day. So you're going to intermittent fast on the days that I cook. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no. no. I'm just saying. Like, that should be the goal. But yeah. we end up eating too much. So I think actually one of the things for me of how to, because I know he has like a good appetite for all kinds of food, really, and I'm not really as much of a food person. I mean, I love good food, but I was raised where like food is just to feed your stomach. It's not this like totally emotional experience where I'm going to come home and the first thing my mom's going to ask me is like, oh, what do you want to eat? Like, you know... Right. And for me, like, when I was, I People are busy, more busy. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, what's there to eat? Like a cheese stick or like ramen noodles? Like that's, <laughs> I didn't really care. It wasn't like this emotional experience so that's a big difference right yeah I, f- I figured that when I was living in America people just there's means to an end means to an end it's not an end mm-hmm. itself at all but they're in some circles like it is like hipster people or like whatever like barbecue or like eating nice dinner together as a family where you're making nice thing together but that's not normal in American culture anymore Right. Like you do that once in a while anymore. And that's another actually good thing is like the whole eating together point is a lot of Indian families don't eat together. Like you don't all sit down at the same time and have a meal. It's like if someone comes home from work, then you feed them. 
at that time, or you, you have to make fresh rotis and you just serve them hot. So you, you can't sit down and eat while making fresh rotis. So that's like one dynamic that I think is really different. And a Western family, we're expected to like, everyone sits down together. And once you sit, you're sitting there and you don't get up right. and whatever's there is there. But nuclear families are more eat together mm-hmm. in, India, in India, but joint families don't. I think more, right. more or less, unless you have a cook or something, then everyone can sit and eat and cook is actually on cooking. But otherwise, generally in larger families, there are some people eat, some people cook. And I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know. In our, in our case, it, again, it's a blended culture, blended mm-hmm. way of doing things. We do our individualistic, whoever wants to eat, whatever. And then sometimes we do together yeah. eating and uh, sometimes... I just don't feel like eating any of that. And so I just eat something else. So, Yeah, so, so we just try to keep it flexible. It's not like we have to do one way or the other. Otherwise... But I mostly yeah. eat Indian food. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you and our kids mostly eat... I would say mostly, but eat 50, 40, maybe like 50, 50, or maybe 40, 60. 40% times Western food, 60% of the time Indian food. Well, if you're... Cons- counting like a Maggie cheese noodles. cheese sandwich western food or maggie yeah. western food then yeah. yeah but those are actually made in india so no i would just consider that western well that's junk food actually junk. like kids kids eat food. junk food i'm trying to break it to you but like they do um so sometimes that's what you have to make them yeah so. but anyway so anything else any other points you want to make about No, that's food? a like, difference probably between our some of our other uh, like expat families in, in India where both people are like American mm-hmm. and they're living in a foreign culture. So they both have similar food habits. They both enjoy their whatever right. ribs or whatever it is. Or like bread, like homemade bread. bread. Like, I, I enjoy bread, but like sometimes. not the way like I didn't grow up like that but yeah so there's, there's that difference like I have I like my own food and Jessica likes her own food and I usually like some of her food and she likes some of my food but we usually have we have a variety of food yeah. at any point in the fridge and uh, we just kind of mix and match and whatever you feel like at that time and you eat and we both eat each other's right. kind of food and oh one important point he's non-veg and I'm veg so that's another element but mostly I would say like 80 percent of our diet is vegetarian Right. So and then he just eats what he wants later. So that's another thing to and consider. And the other thing is that we are able to be flexible because we live by ourselves. If we were living with other people, you will not have that luxury. You joint family, like we were talking about that earlier, that you'd not be able to do that as 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 easily because most of your family is going to be Indian and they're all going to like spicy food. They're all going to want certain taste, and you as a foreigner might be only one who may not like everything. That's right. So, yeah, I understand that. I mean, I, I've heard people like say, oh, I love Indian food. Like, I don't know. But I've, I've figured out that it's not that simple. Mm-hmm. You may say that you like Indian food, but... Roj cow, roj but, masala, yeah. me, ghee, tail, ye sab, to fir samaj me aega. I like American food or whatever that American food is, like an evolution of American food. But you get tired of it every day. Yeah. Do teen din kao fir... I mean, I lived in America for a long time, but still, like, I can, it's something I would prefer, rather prefer if I can, someone can cook for me or I cook, you know, means to do it, like, I would always prefer Indian Indian food. food. So, so that's just my take on it. That's our take on it. 
That is our take on it. So uh, if you have any more questions about our food habits or our weird food habits, yeah. then write to us on invisibleindiapodcast at gmail.com. Comment on our social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok. You'll see below. That's all linked there. Subscribe to our channel. Thanks for humoring us <laughs> on the food topic. It's an important one. As we said, you know, food is one of the most essential aspects of an Indian family. So it's really crucial to give a lot of time and attention to that topic. So today's episode is, again, like I said, is with Nikita Gupta. This is part two of our conversation where we get a little bit deeper into her multicultural roots of being an African-American woman married to an Indian man from Uttar Pradesh in northern India, their multicultural family, and how she has navigated finding acceptance and a real love for Indian culture, and then how she decided to share that with the world. I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Nikita. I'm just curious too, like how, as you've gone on in your marriage and now you've been married for 11 years, I'm sure that, as you mentioned, you know, there have been some challenges with living in a interreligious household. And yeah. so how have you guys navigated that part of your story? As you so well know, Indian culture and Indian religion is really one in the same and is so connected. And it's very difficult to separate out Indian culture from uh, Hinduism or uh, an Indian Islamic culture from Islam. So I'm just curious with you and Sachin, how you guys navigated the Hindu-Christian interface and tension Right. Yes. So what he and I do, we've, we've always decided that we just have a balance between the two. Whereas, you know, because I'm Christian, he would never make it to be a point where it's, I have to worship a Hindu God or goddess if I don't feel comfortable with that. You know, if that is something mm -hmm. that I'm not specifically okay with, you know, I've, I've participated in pujas, but I speak in tongues. <laughs> and so we just found ways of being able to celebrate things like Diwali, whereas we celebrate the meaning behind it, but we don't put the deities into it because he feels like that's unfair to me. You know, we just have a mutual respect of each other's family upbringing and background. So for you guys and with your daughter, Amaya, mm -hmm. how does she, I mean, she's from everything that you've shared about her and talked about her, she's just a delight and a joy. And she is also really leaning into learning about Indian culture and yes. Indian African-American and multicultural little girl. Like, I mean, she's what, she's six now. Is that right? She's six. Yes. Yeah. So how is she navigating living in an interreligious household? And is it very simple for her? Does she just understand like, hey, this is, you know, mommy is, is Christian, papa's Hindu, and this is our life. Like, or does she not really worry about those labels at this age? 
I don't think she's really worried about them at this age, but I think she's aware of like, oh, with daddy, we go to temple and at temple, you know, we take Prashad and, you know, it, it's entirely different because she's gone there with my father-in-law when he came here to visit us and, mm-hmm. you know, she saw everything and, and she came home and she asked questions and I just told her and then, you know, she's gone to church with, she goes to church with us as well. So it's like, I don't think she really, she really is getting it at this point, but she knows that the two are different. But I also tell her that, you know, people are different and we all believe certain things and some of us believe X and some of us believe Y, but at the end of the day, you know, it's who you are as a person, what you want to spread as good in the world, your character, et cetera. Those are the things that matter. And so I, I love that she's learning about both because I think it's important for her too, because her family in India, they're all Hindu, you know? So it's kind of like mm-hmm. she needs to have a knowledge of both. For sure. In that sense too, that these are the values that we have in common. And these are the things between, you know, mommy and papa, the core values that we have that. Correct you know, you're passing on to her. There's, there's a lot of things that are really can be so similar. If you're really leaning in towards each other as a couple and leaning in towards each other's families, we see so often, and I know that you've shared people's stories on your blog about this like tug of war that happens. I wonder what advice you would give somebody if it seems like in their relationship, there's a tug of war happening. <laughs> like, <laughs> and let's say that this is you're married already, you're in a rela- you're in a committed relationship, and there's still a tug of war at hand, whether it's cultural, whether it's religious, whether it has to do with family, like, what would be your advice to somebody who's in that situation? Wow, that's really a loaded question. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would I would say that, you know, I think that there's continuously going to be situations that arise when you are in an interracial or intercultural relationship or marriage because you come from two completely different cultural backgrounds and then you put the religious component in there too. So that's another layer. I think that both of them have to just be continuously willing to communicate and to compromise because there is going to be a tug of war regardless subsequent to getting married and once you have children that even adds even more to you know the relationship dynamics because you're bringing children into into the mix and that changes the relationship that you and your spouse have at the end of the day and how you are parenting your parenting styles may be entirely different in regards to how you grew up i know that for such and our parenting styles are entirely different um for you know he even told me like in most south asian families the kids sleep in the bed till like six seven years old whereas most americans you know we just like put the baby in the crib and the baby should figure to cry it out right and cry it out kid exactly (laughs) they should just stay in their bed after that (laughs) But, you know, uh, oftentimes that does not work. So I think that that tug of war piece is going to be there, but you have to be dedicated to communicating to each other. You have to respect each other, stay educated on what each other's cultural dynamics are, you know, how you think and have open communication. Talk about 
how you want to parent your children, uh, how your parents parented you, those are all essential. In addition to just respect each other and to love each other and try to grow together, you know, as a result of the things that you're going to encounter together as a couple. That's great. You mentioned that you guys had visited India together. Um, Was there any, yeah, was there anything that surprised you about visiting India in the way that you were received as a couple or pleasantly or unpleasantly? (laughs) (laughs) There were a number of different things that caught me off guard. The first one was when we were just, when I got off the plane, I expected people to be like, okay, that's somebody that we've never seen before, (laughs) an African-American, a black person's here. And that did happen, you know, so I was prepared for that. I was not prepared for people to like stare and stalk and start to take pictures of me randomly. I thought that was the weirdest thing ever. (laughs) My mother, (laughs) my mother-in-law and father-in-law, they kind of started to shield and (laughs) guard me after that. Uh, I didn't expect that. People would say, she's a foreigner, but the rest of my family that I was there with that are Indian, they're, they're national. So they get the, they get the regular rate for people that are Indian and I get a separate rate because I'm not from there. And then people right. trying to assume where they thought I was from because they were like, wait, is she American or where are you from? And my mother-in-law, she jumped in and she said, oh, they, they're both from Cape Town, South Africa, which I oh like, just ran into a fit of giggles after she said something like that. But it seemed like they they respected that more than if we were from America, which was weird. Uh, we went to uh, the Agra Fort and we were mm. in line. And all of a sudden, it's just like five people just decided to jump in front of us. So it's just like, <laughs> right. how rude is that? But my husband said that for Indian people, a lot of them, it's just normal to just jump in front of people or do what you feel specific you need to do. So I thought right. that was interesting. <laughs> right. It's like every man for himself in, in this yes. way. In tra- in, when you're in your own household and when you're in the family, it's not every man for himself. It's you know, stepping on eggshells or making sure that your elders are pleased and this, that. But when you're out in public, if it's in traffic, if it's a line, if it's at a store, if there's a little bit of space, you got to take it, you know, because otherwise, mm -hmm, otherwise you are going to get, you're not going to get the best of the best, or you're not going to get what's available. And there's like this scarcity mentality. And even now with, even with middle-class and even wealthier people, it's the, the mentality is still, continued on. And I'm, I'm just curious how many generations it's going to take for that to die out now that wow, people too. are. Yeah. Now that people are middle class has grown substantially over the last 20, 25 years, uh, 30 years, even since the 90s. And now we're still having this scarcity mentality. So I'm just like, OK, when, when's it when's it going to stop? <laughs> right. So, it was yeah, I can hear you thing. and how that could be. <laughs> I hear you on how that could be pretty that sh- it could be pretty shocking <laughs> visiting first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh man, one of my friends who is from Virginia, she had lived in India for several years and she had locks and okay. she said people would come up to her and just behind her and just grab her hair because they wanted oh, to touch wow. it <laughs> almost I on a daily that. occurrence. Oh. And wow. um Yeah. So just that curiosity. And it's so interesting to me how as a foreigner, you know, you and I are both Americans. You and I are both from Chicago. We have so many things in common. Yet if you and I were to stand next to each other 
and our husbands somewhere in India that's not a big tourist place, people would assume so many different things about you and so many different things about me just because of the way that we look. Can that That is one of the things I think for me that's really shook my identity as a white person in India of, hey, this being white in India means something really different than what I had any idea what it meant. So, um, and being and being black in India has has very different connotations, but also something that might be different. So, like, was there anything like that that hit you as far as, man, what people think about me here is, I just never really realized that that people saw African American people in this way. Yes, most definitely. You know, like I said, with the people just stopping and staring and taking pictures. But my husband was just like, you know, some people, they've never seen a black person before. So that's why they're doing that. But I'm just like, it's so rude. And when we went out to eat, it was like a couple that was sitting across from us with their kids. The one woman just sitting there, she could not stop staring the whole time. It was like her mind had been blown completely apart <laughs> in regards to how this was happening. <laughs> how was there an African-American or Black person sitting there with this Indian family? <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> One of the things I love about your blog and the stories that you share is that you you always share the resources that you find. And some of the stuff that I, I love about what you share is things related to your daughter, Amaya. And you have really committed yourself to raising her in a multicultural fashion. Even being in America, you still really want her to connect with Indian culture. And you're not just sitting around waiting for Sachin to do that for her. You're really engaged in that process. So, um, you know, you've been written some books. You take her to Indian events. Uh, Do you guys cook Indian food at home? Like, what are some of the other ways that you... Yeah, and how encourage her to be connected to her Indianness, I suppose. Yes, we cook chicken tikka masala, which she loves. Paneer tikka masala, sag paneer. I could go on and on. Um, we definitely cook Indian food. We also watch Bollywood movies, so we watch them in Hindi and in English. I have taken it upon myself to just make sure that she culturally understands that she is both. She's African-American, but she's also Mm -hmm. Indian. And so we look at the importance of, you know, making sure that she has what I call a diversity toolbox. And within Mm -hmm. that diversity toolbox are things that are related to both cultures and then also things that are just related to children that are multicultural heritage and kids that look like her, kids that she'll say, oh, are they like me? And I'll say, yeah, they are. They're mixed like you. They are children that represent two or more cultures. And so that was really one of the reasons, too, that I created the children's book, I Love Masala Me, which is a bilingual and multicultural children's book, because I, in my investigation of, you know, books for children like Amaya, I did not find one that really talked to the multicultural child experience of somebody that is of South Mm -hmm. Asian or Indian descent and other. And so that was really one of the premises of me creating that book. And then also just making sure that there's more bilingual resources out there that are in Hindi and in English, because there really are not a lot here in the, in the United States. Um, so mm-hmm. those are some of the things we do. And then also she's going to be learning uh, Bhangra. 
she is excited to do that. And that she's oh, going to be in a, a show as well. But, you know, I, I've shown her how to wear the Indian clothing and everything. And so we went to a, an Indian wedding last October, one of my DDs, and Amaya was just like a shining star there. And my, my mother-in-law was just like, wow, Amaya, I'm was impressed. Because <laughs> she calls her Yeah, Alma. her booty. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> she's, she's like, booty. I'm so impressed. Yeah, <laughs> but she, but Amaya was just like, see? <laughs> so I was happy to see that, that, you know, my mother-in-law could see that it's just not me saying I'm going to do something in regards to making sure Amaya is immersed in the cultural component of who she is, of being Indian, but also African-American, but me, you know, doing it and, and she can see that for herself. Mm-hmm. So those are just some of the things that we're doing, but yeah, it's everything here. <laughs> We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're celebrating both of our cultures here. You're really, you know, maintaining and, and keeping the culture. And that's just so great to see you leaning in in that way and, and really passing it on to the next generation and encouraging other people to do the same thing. This is to so tell me a little bit more about the books that you've written. Sure. So the book is a children's book called I Love Masala Me. It's really written towards children that are three plus. It's a tale of a brother and sister. Essentially, it revolves around food. You can see that within the foods that they eat, that they're multicultural kids, they're South Asian, but they're also other. And so I wanted it to be a celebration of the fact that they are two cultures and that they have an understanding of the fact that they come from a a multicultural background. You'll see in the children's book, they love naan, but they also love bread. And so it's just little things like that, whereas when kids are growing up in multicultural households, they can see themselves in books. And so that was really the premise of me creating it. And I thinking about my own daughter, Amaya, who's now six, and her being able to not only understand that culturally she can like different foods and the different foods are actually very similar to each other. And then at the mm. same time, kids within her age range can learn that those words in Hindi as well as English. So the words, I love bread and I love naan are both in Hindi and in English throughout the book. But there's different foods that are discussed in there as well that are Mm. similar. So it's funny as well, because when we were in a wedding, when we were at that wedding in October, an American woman came up to me and she said to me, um, and she, she was Caucasian, she said, well, what here is like at? What's like a donut here? And I was just like, it's, it's <laughs> hilarious because <laughs> I'm like, this is hilarious because I'm making this children's book and I actually have in the children's book, I love donuts, I love gulab jamun. So it's kind of Gulab like, jamun. I was just, yes, exactly. I was just going to say gulab jamun. Like what yes. would be like that sweet thing that you're yes. going to feed people? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so I told her that and she's like, oh, thank you so much. But I'm just like, this is actually a book that adults too could use. (laughs) If you're ever curious about what an Indian culture is similar to something that is a dish in American culture. And learn mm-hmm. a little Hindi too. But, yeah. Right. And then like depends on what culture you're in in India. Like where we live, That's it's more, true. I mean, gulab jamun's there, but then it's like beda is like the main thing. And if you're in Gujarat, it's going to be something else. If you're in South India, it's going to be, you know, like idli dosa is the main yeah, food. Yeah, that's true. It's idli just, dosa, it's just yeah. like, oh, but I, 
I think that what you're saying is, especially in North Indian Hindi, there is a gap as far as um, cultural representation. And I wonder if it's because Gujaratis have pretty strong connection with each other when they're abroad. Tamils have a very strong connection because of the language, the culture, Bengalis, Punjabis, you know, the list goes on. But when it comes to Hindi speakers, we're so spread out where there's so many different states and so many cultures within Hindi speaking culture that I feel like there's not really a centralized way that the community kind of unites. So I definitely see that in the diaspora community, you know, people aren't as connected to each other and there is a lack of resources. So hats off to you to being someone who's, I don't want to call you an outsider because you're not an outsider, but you're like an alongsider or someone that's next to or with right within Indian culture, but not like brought up in it, but you've immersed yourself within it. So for someone like you, who's taken this on and who's, who's learned a lot to be able to share your learnings with some, with others, I think is, is really important and and tough work. (laughs) Yeah, it really is a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Nikita has offered to share a free copy of her book to do a giveaway with us for the I Love Masala Me book to listeners of the Invisible India podcast. How you're going to get this is by tagging three of your friends in any any social media post on our wall on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Share it with three people that you think would enjoy to hear this episode, to learn about Nikita and get a copy of this book. So go ahead and follow Nikita. I'm going to put all of her social handles and her website. And if you want to have a chance to get a copy of this really sweet book, go ahead and follow those instructions. And I'll post, I'll post on our social sites as well of how you can do that. So Nikita, where can people find you online? Obviously your website, growingupgupta.com. Where else can you be found? Yes. So we can also be found on Twitter at Growing Up Gupta, on Instagram and Pinterest at Growing Up Guptas, on Facebook at Growing Up Gupta blog. Cool. And where can people find your book? The book is available on Amazon. And I actually have two other books, too, that I don't talk that much about um, that are also on Amazon. One called Habits of Successful Career Nomads and another one called I'm Dating Indian, Now What? (laughs) That's fantastic. I definitely want to get a copy of that one and just hear what you have to say. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. I had a great time speaking with you and I enjoy what you do and thank you for having me on. I I do appreciate it. Thank you so much for being on. I'm really glad that we were able to connect. Being a fellow Chicago girl, it's it's really cool to connect with you and hear your story and how different your journey has been from mine, but and yet some of the similarities of raising multicultural kids and encouraging leaning into Indian culture, being able to kind of carry on to the next generation, things that we weren't raised with, but that we think are important. So I really can appreciate what you're doing. And I want others to hear about what you're doing, too. So thank you so much. 
The music for the Invisible India podcast is performed by Christopher Halen Sitar and Ed Henley on Tabla on Rag Bhim Palasi.